Welcome to the PSRB Lawcast from the offices of Pellegrini, Seeley, Ryan, and Blakesley. I'm your host, Adam Wright. And each episode, we bring you information about the various aspects of personal injury law. And we know that uh, approaching a law firm to help you sometimes can be kind of intimidating. So this podcast is designed to, to break down personal injury law and make it easier for you to understand and, and help you navigate the process of hiring a lawyer with greater comfort. Uh, remember, every case is different. And in order for us to provide you with accurate information and advice, Relevant to your specific circumstance, it's important to set up an appointment with one of our attorneys to meet in person. The information presented today is for general information purposes only. Today we're going to be discussing a critical and and often emotional topic of personal injury law, dog bites. And uh, our guest attorney today to help it break uh, and our guest attorney today to help break it all down for us. Uh, returning is attorney Sandra Santanelli. Sandra has valuable knowledge and experience in personal injury and civil litigation and has worked on some really complicated tort cases involving the use of experts and investigations, inspections, and extensive litigation. Attorney Santanelli graduated from the University of Hartford with uh, two bachelor's degrees in political science and criminal justice, and she got her law degree from Western New England University. Hi, Sandra. Hi, Adam. How are you? All right. Thanks for for, uh, coming in today because this is a topic that, you know, it's, uh, as I said in the opening, it's it's very emotional um, because it it can cause some, some, a dog bite can cause some serious injury. And also we love our animals and we love our pets and we don't want to see them hurt others. So oftentimes it can be a really difficult situation. Uh, What are the factors that go into a dog bite case? Yeah, sure. So in the state of Massachusetts, we have a law in regards to not only dog bites, but injuries that occur as a result of a dog. Um, So there's a statute. um, It's I'll just cite it for you. It's Chapter 140, Section 155. And what it does is it imposes strict liability on a dog owner. For any injury or property damage their dog causes um, to someone else. Um, And what strict liability means is usually you have to prove negligence. You have to prove that someone was at fault and how they were at fault, meaning how they were negligent. When your dog bites someone, when they injure someone, when they destroy or damage property, you don't have to prove what the negligence is, it, it basically means they're automatically liable under the law for whatever damage they cause. Wow. So you don't have to have uh, knowledge that the defendant, uh, the owner of the dog, uh, knew their dog was vicious or had a propensity for biting. or It's just, if the bite happens, they're responsible. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, that does come into play in a lot of cases where, you know, we'll find that this particular dog involved in an incident was involved in prior incidences before had the dog warden called or, you know, there's reports from neighbors or witnesses that there's been incidents before. But usually if if your dog bites or injures someone or destroys property, you're strictly liable for their behavior. Are there any exceptions? Uh, You know, let's say I, I jump onto somebody's property or I jump over their fence to pet their dog and their dog Yeah. So there are, there's usually three exceptions under the law. One is if you're a trespasser. So this doesn't include like the mailman or delivering a package or your invited guest. If you're on someone's property and you don't have permission to be there, 
um, and you're hurt by a dog, that can be an exception to the strict liability rule. Another one is um, if you're committing a crime at the time. So I can go back to trespassing as well. If you're breaking into someone's house and that dog bites you, you know, that's going to be an exception. And then finally, one of the exceptions is if you're tormenting the dog. So if you're hurting the dog, if you're beating the dog, if you're doing something wrong to the dog that's hurting it, and it in return defends itself, that's an exception as well. It's like a stand your ground law for dogs. Almost, yeah. They're allowed to defend themselves if they're being, you know, hurt. Right. Yeah. Right. What about if you're, if you know, we we know the kids. Oftentimes, you're you're walking by a fence and you see a dog, and you know, kids will take a stick and hit the fence, or they'll, you know taunt the dog. Is that considered tormenting or do they have to actually physically interact with the dog? Um, it depends, which is the famous lawyer answer. It depends, right? Every fact is, is, is fact specific, but, um, there is an exception to the exception in the law. If a child is under the age of seven, it's legally determined that they cannot torment a dog, which means, so even if, you have a five-year-old who's kind of pulling the dog's ears or something. If the dog bites them, you know, that isn't considered tormenting the dog. Um, but it really all depends on the facts of the case and, you know, whether or not yelling at the dog is considered tormenting. Probably not. But hitting a dog and a dog responding, probably yes, that would be an exception. Sure. How difficult is it to bring these cases? It, 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 how difficult is it? Do you have to prove that the dog did the damage? Do you have to, um, I'm assuming you have to show some medical injury and that, that goes to that attack? Oh, yeah. So absolutely. So just because there's strict liability, you don't really have to prove the negligence portion. You still have to prove that you have damages. So with without any damages, so even if the dog comes out you or, you know, knocks you down, if you're not injured, you don't have a case. So you have to prove what your injuries are, whether they're Medical, you got bit, you got knocked down, you're injured now, or, you know, if there's damage to the property, you still always have to prove that. Um, And then it really becomes a matter of where do you recover from? So I'm assuming that someone's homeowner insurance would probably cover their own dog biting somebody. If yes, usually. So usually if if you're a homeowner and you know on homeowner's insurance, you're supposed to report any and all animals that are living at your house and dogs. And I know my homeowner's insurance asks for the specific breed and size. They want to make sure it's not a a breed that's known to be aggressive. Exactly. And some of those aggressive breeds that have been targeted by insurance companies are, are pit bulls, you know, German shepherds, Rottweilers, Dobermans, you know, dogs that are known to be kind of protective dogs. Um, but you're supposed to report it to your homeowners. So usually people do. So if, if you do get attacked or injured by a dog and the dog lives at a house and the person owns the house, and as long as they reported it to their homeowner's insurance, the homeowners usually will cover that damage. Now, the issue then becomes if the person isn't a homeowner, um, then you have to ask yourself, where where can we recover in that scenario? Because there is no homeowner's insurance. So if somebody, do, do people who, who rent, for example, do they typically have renter's insurance that would protect them in a situation like this? Or is it mostly property? 
So they can. I, you know, renter's insurance is something that you should have. It's something that I don't see very frequently. A lot of people who rent don't think to get it. Um, I know a lot of policies for rental insurance will allow you, you know, to, to insure your dog, um, but it's not common. And so if, if you get attacked or you get bit or injured by someone's dog and it turns out they don't own a home, they have no homeowner's insurance, they're a renter and there's no rental insurance, yes, they're still legally liable under the law, but you're not going to be able to recover you know, financially for your damages against them, usually in that kind of case, because there's no insurance policy. So let's talk a little bit about the kind of injuries that someone could get and how that relates to this, the type of claim they could get. I'm assuming facial scarring would probably be right at the top of the list. Oh, absolutely. So it's all subjective. It depends, right? So it depends on the injury, how bad it is, if there's scarring or disfigurement. Um, I have a client right now who has a bad scar to the face. Obviously, that is worth you know, more money for an insurance claim because it's scarring and disfigurement to an area you're constantly looking at. People see it on your face versus I've had other cases before where there are dog bites to the hand, you know, or the fingers, areas that you typically do already have scars. Those areas aren't considered as severe as something on the face, on the mouth, on the neck. Um, But it really all depends. It depends too if, you know, they knock you over and you have a scrape on your leg or, you know, we've had tons of, of mail delivery carriers as clients before who've had bites to their ankles. That part of the body isn't as noticeable as, like you said, to your mouth, to your nose, to your face. Is there always a component of pain and suffering? Or in other words, if let's say uh, I was bit by a dog, I had some, ex, you know, extensive, um, medical bills, my insurance company paid my medical bills. I didn't have any visible scars, but let's say I was traumatized. Is, is there any kind of recovery available for mental anguish and pain and suffering? Oh yeah, absolutely. In that kind of case though, you always want to make sure you document it. So whether that be, you know, keeping notes about how you struggle or like I always recommend to my clients, report that mental injury to your doctors. You know, let them know that you're struggling. Let them know that you're suffering from, you know, depression or post-traumatic stress from the incident. And it's common. It's very common. I've heard a lot from many of my clients over the years that get nervous walking by a park where they see dogs because they had been attacked before or can't own dogs anymore because they're too scared. But you always want to make sure you document it. You report it to your doctor and you get the help that you need. The size matter in the size of the dog. I mean, clearly a, a, a pit bull is going to do more damage than a chihuahua, but is, does that have any a bearing on recovery? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the bigger the dog, the bigger the bite, I think. I mean, even though small dogs can be pretty vicious as well, it comes into play more with the insurance companies when they're looking at the value of the case. You know, obviously, if if you get bit by a a bigger dog, um, it's going to leave a bigger scar compared to, you know, if you get bit by a Pomeranian, it might be a smaller scar. So that will affect the value of the case ultimately. Like every. personal injury case. Collecting evidence is really important. 
So let's walk through uh, for folks what you would do right after you got bit by a dog. Yeah, so I would strongly recommend calling the police, okay? Have a police report made so it's documented. Um, that's because, one, the police will document what happened. They'll take your statement. If there's any witnesses, they'll take down those statements as well. The dog warden will also be called as well. And what usually happens after a dog bite case, and it depends city to city or town to town, but the dog warden will get involved. The person who owns the dog is responsible for showing some vaccination of rabies. And um, usually the dog gets quarantined and a formal investigation is, is, is brought on in regards to the dog, its viciousness. Sometimes if it's the dog's, um, if it's not the dog's first time, there'll be a hearing on viciousness with within the town involving the dog ward and whether or not, you know, if we should continue to quarantine the dog, if the dog should be given away or if the dog ultimately, you know, poses a danger to other people, um, euthanized. But I would always recommend calling the police so a report is made. Um, and then also if, if you end up just going to the hospital or the doctor, there are medical Notice requirements that are on doctors at hospitals, if you come in with a dog bite, they automatically have to report it to the dog warden in the town that it occurred. So no matter what, it's going to get, it's going to get out. So you might as well just, you know, do your due diligence, you know, make sure you're covered and just contact the police. Also uh, take photographs of the wound. Oh, absolutely. Take photographs. Get to medical treatment as well. You you have to be careful. I mean, most people I'd, I'd like to say are are good, responsible dog owners and keep their dogs up to date with their vaccines and their shots. Sometimes not. So those wounds can get infected really quickly. You know, dogs' mouths are dirty, um, and you want to make sure you get them sutured, you get them clean, you get on any antibiotics you need, so further injury doesn't occur. Well, this has been really interesting and uh, and very important, especially now that, that uh, the nicer weather is here and people are going to be outside more interacting with each other and with their dogs. Um, this is, uh, this is I think, is very, very helpful. And, of course, if people need to get a hold of, of you or any of our attorneys here, they can do that at, uh, at PSRB. And the number is 800-785-5399. Sandra, this is, uh, this is great. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Adam.